Tonight, it's an Orville double feature, followed by our thoughts with the exciting conclusion of The Old Man, and then we will finish with a loving tribute to Nichelle Nichols. All this coming up right now on The Ryder Brothers. And welcome back to the Ryder Brothers. Uh, I'm Petey York, kind of off camera tonight. Though I'm gonna go on camera real quick just for a second to share one of my new uh, kind of life hacks here to get through the sickness. It's of course uh, Canada Dry in a powder form that I can actually keep down and drink and stomach, like regular Canada Dry. I don't know, Corion, were you more of a burners guy too? Uh, actually, I'll, I'll be honest with you. We've got a, a uh, I've used a drink called Orangina. It's basically orange juice and club soda. Um, but mostly because it burns everything in the throat out of the way. So you don't taste pain anymore. Um, oh, that's been my solution. <laughs> it's funny, that's why I use Coke. Originally, uh, well, yeah, I like, I like to use, uh, I like to use Coke for burns my throat. Yeah, sorry to talk over you, but I like to use Coke uh, for for my allergies. I actually found it because it's got mm. so yeah some of the Coke specifically, not not just cola, but but Coca Cola has a natural uh, anti uh, antihistamine. At least yeah. Uh, sorry guys, sure Coke is a little too seventies disco for down me. Your mucus. <laughs> like I don't think in any way it's good for you. But I know that it does the trick to clear my throat. Now, Corion's about to promote the real Cola King, which, of course, we all know is Royal Crown Cola. Uh, <laughs> no, man. Jolt. Uh, you know, 50,000 hackers can't be wrong, man. And uh, we got a, uh, a comment in the chat from uh, Aaron D. Water and sometimes fruit smoothies can't stand soft drinks anymore. Too sweet. Thank you for that. Yes. And I yeah. think so. As you can tell, I'm off camera because I look like crap. And I usually don't care what I look like except when I'm, you know, down with the sickness. Uh, it didn't test positive wow. for you know what. But yeah, I usually post that song too when I'm sick. I think I forgot to today. So I will be off camera for the day and probably uh, just handling some of the discussion while we while we get through. Um, but I'd like to know, guys, uh, what did we think of the Orville double feature since we missed last Oof. week because we had to take a break after 21 straight weeks? Um, what uh, what'd you guys think of... Uh, but you, wow. you could start with either episode. I don't think it really matters. I mean, yeah. Well, I mean... Both episodes hit like trucks, right? I mean, we got the episode of, you know, the Dolly Parton episode. Oh, my gods. Right. Um, you know, with with uh, St. Dolly uh, coming down from on high and, and reading the riot act <laughs> to, uh, you know, to the Mocklin females. Um, you know, we had the Mocklins leave and, you know, the next episode they're they're signing up with the Krill. Holy crap. Right. And it looked like they were building this like evil alliance of evil kind of thing going on. And we figured, well, you know, the union's in trouble. And then the union just switches everything around, doesn't it? And we wind up with this crazy 180 of the Kalon are our friends now. 
and we're going to take the fight to the Krill and the Mocklins. It was a wild roller coaster of two episodes. Um, it felt like it hit the, the lowest low in terms of feels and then the highest high again on, um, you know, on, on the, the upswing of the potential and the possible hope for the future, you know, for, for a episode just before the finale, they've really left us in an interesting place. And I'm, I'm hoping I know where the finale is going to take us, but boy, I don't know. This I has know. been one heck of a roller coaster of a season. And I, I've just, I've been enjoying the ride. Yeah, and I'm totally right there with you. Uh, it, it, I was blown away by how much effects budget we got in episode nine. Now the trailer for six, I don't know. The teasers have been really solid in in fooling me for several of them, and just really like kind of like hey, like like they feel like actual teasers. Like they're not giving away the story, which is refreshing. And I. Yeah, I was blown away. First of all, these are two feature-length films, by the way, guys. Technically, uh, according to the, I believe it's the American Film Association that sets this, uh, anything that is longer than 74 minutes, credits included, is technically a feature film. So these were these were basically the equivalent to our, what we would get as an Orville movie. And I, I, it's all been great. Yeah, episode eight really won, and I was like, wow, I, I think nine's probably going to be a little bit of a dud, and then we're going to get a punch in the finale. But I think the finale is going for the soft kill. Uh, I think it's going to get mostly closure, and I think we're going to see... Um, yeah, we're just uh, we're, we're gonna see a very we're gonna see most loose ends tied up, probably with a little bit of a door open for the for the future. Well, I've got a theory on it, and if it's what I think it is, it's gonna mean a lot to everyone in this panel because we're all dads. <laughs> I think Mercer's going to go get his kid. You know, it, that would be quite a that would be quite an ending. I'm and not, and I uh, and I'm talking like. Arnold Schwarzenegger 70s commando go get his kid like kind yeah. of episode uh, and- yeah uh, perspective uh, writer comment says uh, from Aaron D says Talia using her daughter to spite Mercer really felt wrong and real as you see she doesn't really want to do it I agree uh, that that's- go ahead John it really feels like a child custody debate yep like, like she is ultimately trying to provide the best life for her daughter, but she knows that she is a part of a, an entire race of xenophobes. And so she has to cover and hide everything about her daughter. But she, it seems like she actually has taken steps to ensure that she's being uh, cared for by reasonable um, parents. And that shows how much of a commitment she actually has to her daughter while at the same time like she hates everybody she's xenophobic so she hates mercer at the core of her existence and so in that version of childhood custody it seems like she really is trying to do everything to not only like win but at the same time like cut him at the intestines so she bleeds like he bleeds out and it it's like for Mercer, he's like, all of this hurts because I had no idea for years. 
and for like and not to mention like how many different times like Mercer's played with time not to mention how many times he's like never really moved with anybody else except for uh his second and I think that like really shows how much is like cutting him in half he's like the one time I gave my heart to anybody else than Kelly like I'm being gut and this show just made everybody feel that really good point out Arendi that is on point yeah I thought uh, go for it oh I was also gonna say and I mean and let's not forget I mean we had Ensign Karen for almost this entire season and you know episode nine man the redemption arc that she went on and it wasn't that she was actually trying to redeem herself she was literally doing what she felt was right in the moment because you know partly because you know hey it was the right thing to do because she's a union officer and partly because i think she just couldn't go on without her her friend and it was such a complicated and deeply focused ending for a character that we all just kind of it was getting on my nerves anyway right um and just having this beautifully complicated um deep poignant meaningful story going on with the background of a space battle that should make lucasfilm stand up and go oh that's what we've been doing you know we should have been doing that not the other thing. Oh, okay. The right? games where you could fly the ships on the planet, like fighting yeah. over planets, battlefront. That would be amazing. Yeah, and uh, uh, yeah, some some uh, some fan mail from Nemesis of Eden. The fire in her eyes shot was badass, and then uh, some more fan totally mail from Erin. Yeah, totally. she went out with a bang, literally. And yeah, that the that whole episode, you know that that's like. That's like when you go to a concert, and if you've ever been to like, it, it, even if you're not into like classical music, try to find a live performance of a movie. I got to see Star Trek Beyond live in the theater, which say what you will about the movie, you cannot say anything bad about the soundtrack. That Michael Giacchino really just, he really gave his heart to that one, and you could hear it in every note. And it's like, this, the the whole thing was, was, was a long ballad, a, a symphony, and then here's the big crescendo to the finale and that's what the visual effects came off to me like occasionally they felt a little cheap in some areas but really it just it felt like such strong artistic style that really came to shine in this final or not final episode but second to last episode of the season the best part about all of that was that like all the parts that kind of felt cheap felt the same cheap as they did in season one like it didn't it just felt like they hadn't yet corrected that like area yet they're working on it but like clearly based on everything they've given us so far and so like i when i like look at their effort i go like yeah it was kind of cheap but like it was literally the best version of like a cockpit scene we have yet to see a good cockpit scene for the uh for the space fighters where it's like both traveling over this planet that's literally not real while simultaneously like the pilot is talking and i thought that they like any area that felt a little cheesy they like 
they did their very very best and they haven't figured it out cat attack (laughs) there uh no so like my thoughts on and i think this is actually pretty interesting is because you you called her uh ensign karen corion but i think that's like a misunderstanding of what a karen is because like ensign burke wasn't so much of a karen as she was me yeah okay fair and a total kitty photobomb like she was ensign gen z she was ensign okay kid who yeah finally made it to the fleet and thought everybody was gonna like be a hard charging badass but in reality everybody has mixed feelings about everything some of them are here to explore some of them here here to kill the Kalon. some of them are here because they're here and this is where they were born and it's all they know and so like she is like well i grew up charging hard charging and no like that's not what the military is that's not what anything is like once you actually meet the group it's like everybody has a different reason for being here yeah and everybody's different reason is what makes that thing so great and in the case of the orville that's exactly what makes it great is like mercer is like i wanted to lead people i have no idea where i want to lead them to yeah but i want to be a leader fan mail himself is leadership fan mail from nemesis of eden i feel like kelly is more of a karen than ensign charles i uh i would agree with season one kelly season one kelly is the superman where karen is uh the dude from the boys I so like guess. Kelly actually is 100% a leader by the book, does exactly what you're supposed to do as a person who has individual command of their surroundings. Like when she deals with uh, Clyden, she's very like, I will beat you to death if you think that like you're going to disrespect your daughter. Yeah, I- and... I'm talking about season one, Kelly. And I think yeah, that's, but even it might then, be what Nemesis would be the same, but... Kelly as a whole, to me, is the the Superman version of Omni-Man's Karen. Like, if Karen was a version of Superman, Karen would be Omni-Man or um, the one from The Boys. I can't think of it. Oh, uh, Homelander. Homelander. Yeah, so Karen is like yeah. Homelander, whereas yeah. Kelly is Superman. Like, both I, I of them are it. getting to the manager, but one of them's going to be more professional. Fair enough. Oh, I will say this oh, though. Now, okay, uh, I'm sorry. I shouldn't get into this, but if you want to talk about Homelander and professionalism, that's one thing he's very good at. But that's another discussion. Well, I, I will say this though, guys, and this is something I noticed after watching that that space battle in, in the last episode, and watching the obvious homages to Star Trek. Did anyone else notice who was in the credits as a consultant? John Favino. Uh, oh. Yeah. I did not know that because I know uh I know that um Eric uh, no um not Rick Berman, but the other Eric... uh Brandon Braga? Brandon Braga, that's right. I was saying Eric yeah. I got Eric Banna in my head. Um which is an actor. Um, but anyway. <laughs> yeah, Brandon Braga wrote wrote i think episode eight yeah if i'm remembering correctly and so yeah and that's just it this is why i keep you know 
I'm going to put this in the chat. But this is why I started this one and why I'm probably going to keep doing this one, even if we don't, especially if we don't get an Orville season four, which I, I'm not going to look, guys, I'm not really that superstitious, but I'm a little bit stitious. Quote Michael Scott. Yeah, Michael Scott, P.D. York. Um, so he, I, I'm I think that we will get a season four because if Disney's smart, this is their response to Paramount. And and I, I mean, at this point, uh, Orville is Star Trek. There's no yeah. debate about it. And I'm done. I'm done making excuses for new Trek. I, I tried to enjoy Strange New Worlds as much as I could. But episode nine is a clear, definitive difference of. Here, of, I can, please let I me can finish. Actually, please let me finish. Oh, it's gonna help. Oh, I, I yeah, just just let me finish. It's it's. I want to make this one point, and then I'll let you come in. Um, look at episode nine, season three of episode episode nine, season three of Orville, and episode nine of Strange New Worlds side by side. What do you have? You have a character. The difference is I actually liked Hammer, but I barely knew him. And they kill him off in the most stupid way possible. And they give the most dumbass excuse possible. I'm gonna be honest. Say what you will about me. I teared up with uh with Ensign Burke dying. Initially I kinda got a little choked up and was like, ah, okay. Then the next instance, I was uh it was Isaac's Isaac's eulogy. Yeah. That eulogy was right up right up there with Kirk in Star Trek 2. Because that was just oh my gosh, it was so so it started so so mundane and so robotic and then by the end it's like okay, he's got to be developing emotions or something cuz he's just he's he's connected to it too too well and too easily. So, oh, and I mean, so, you want to talk tearjerkers? The episode before that. Look, I've despised Clyden since we first kind of, like, since we started creating that divide. And then we get frigging Clyden coming in in that last episode right near the end and just coming over yeah. and consoling his daughter and being a dad. And the best straight dad up, he's ever been. Yeah. I mean, talk about a tearjerker there, too. Absolutely. Like, you know, like, we're, I'm sitting there going, like, this is the Clyden that that little girl has deserved since day one. And we finally got it. Honestly, I want, like, four I more seasons be... of Orville, at least, just so I that agree. we get a, a, a few more episodes every season of them exploring that dynamic, that family dynamic. Like, oh, I want... I want a, a Mocklin House spinoff of their family. <laughs> my favorite Mocklin? <laughs> no, yeah, there you go. My favorite Mocklin. And it's just their family finally like growing and being together. I feel like that would just be such a, a sweet reality. And so this is ties into my uh, what I was trying to help you, Parker, in terms of reconciling Kurtzman Trek. Kurtzman Trek is the hyper soap oh. opera dramatization of other ships within the Orville universe. It's crap. Ooh. Oh, that's an interesting take. Um, that uh, New Trek is a soap opera in the Orville. 
Exactly. It's not even worthy of because that. It I like what you're doing, but in Trek, but it does deserve to be within better Trek, aka the Orville, as a soap opera called Star Trek. <laughs> Did you guys ever watch uh, Stargate SG One? No. no, not yet. Okay. At one point during the Stargate SG One series, they, uh, the United States military. Fan mail. Uh, Arendu says it gives tremendous credit to the actor who plays Clyden. It's impressive that he can go from complete asshole to concerned father on a dime. Well, oh yes. In terms of like the actor being able to switch that, absolutely. And in terms of the writers being able to actually like a show us a father that we hated viciously, like over the last three seasons, Clyden has become one of the most hated characters on the Orville as his character Clyden like and then to see him come back that to me is what made me actually tear up was like that's what a dad should do and I understand how in some cases it's really hard for some dads to get there but the fact that he got there is beautiful yeah, oh, yeah. and uh, uh, fan mail from Scoggly Jotun uh, if I mispronounce that Scoggly Jotun I will get around to it as best I can I, I swear my my Americanese is pretty pretty good sometimes in just pronunciating words and names however I receive them. Um, anyway, accent. I miss the old 26-episode format where you could watch O'Brien and Julian's relationship build over you. Yes. yes, and I hope that that with these feature-length film lengths that we've gotten, with, with this style of storytelling, that we can... that, the, that they'll give them more time. Because I, I would I would still watch twenty six one and a half hour episodes. I'm not gonna lie. I mean, if it's that good, you know, I, I can't. You mean when seasons five, six, and we're traveling through seven, and we watch three, four, and five, all those twenty six episodes. Yeah, but yeah. but like I said, I'm sure. I'm done. I put it in the thing. And that's the thing. It's crap track. It's not even K trick or Kurtzman. It's crap. And oh. it, it just shows, like, yeah, you're right. It's a crappy soap opera in the Orville universe at this point. It it doesn't... Steph has his political opinions and his political bias. And I have no issue with that he's... because he's allowed to have opinions and bias. It's his show. But that's just it. Even with it being entirely his show, he still tries to bring nuanced perspective by mixing ideas around. And he's not really trying to be preachy. He's just talking the way Gene Roddenberry talked. And that's what that's what people don't get. That's what a lot of the new Trek fandoms don't understand is that Roddenberry. There's more to it. Yeah. Roddenberry never went out of his way. Not today. It's something I've been learning over the last like week uh, over on Max Durat's uh, channel on YouTube. Shout out to Max Durat. He was talking about the. This idea that once you have an opinion, it is your duty to learn the other side so that you can better defend your opinion against all other opinions. And that is something that Seth and Gene Roddenberry both exemplify in their writing because so often do one of the core characters play the antagonist to Seth's opinion. And yeah. so often can fans just automatically jump on that train, but they so eloquently take the time to reorganize the story 
to make it still on you, the individual, to be more informed. And this is it, it, uh, the way I love to think about it is the thought experiment. Like, if this thing were about to happen, what would it look like? Well, I can now turn to episode three of the Orville and start finding some version of that thought experiment without constantly feeling like I'm demonizing humans. I can take it to a more fantastical well, level and be more open-minded. Well, let, let, let's look, I've said it many, many times, and I, I think this is kind of becoming a trope for me. The best sci-fi asks questions and allows the characters to answer them the way they would, but gives the audience the opportunity to question those questions and ask what they would do. Right. Yeah. Yeah. They almost always leave a position on the ship open for each individual audience member. They're never actually like saying that the audience isn't a character in the story. Instead, they're saying, no, the characters of this story felt that. Yeah. I love that. It's so eloquent. Well, it's it's the truth of the matter, right? I mean, take a look at the golden and silver ages of sci-fi. This is what they did. This is this is the core tenant of science fiction is not to preach, but to ask the questions and leave the answers to the uh, to the destiny of humanity. Right. Yeah. And it's not to preach. It's to ponder. Because like I said, with the thought experiment thing is like there's so much sci fi that just shows you things. And that whole idea of show, don't tell. And in sci-fi, it's literally like, this is a whole other world that has all of these problems. Now, based off of your understanding of reality, assume the best possible solution. Now, also, this other group is the one that's actually going to do it. And we humans wrote them. So like you don't you you feel it it's not necessarily like disconnect so much as it is like watching a math problem like reading a math problem instead you're watching it be presented and you still have to solve it like you we still need to find out what is the answer to genetic mutation of the in, the ones that are in, unable to consent children babies so like those are questions that need to be solved for every well, human I mean, let's let's don't. just take a quick look at how Seth literally dealt with a the trans. I, I hate even saying issue, but I mean, yeah. Look, he took at he took it from the perspective of an individual. He said, "Look, this is the this individual's life, um, and potentially made it. This is their life on the line, which dealt with a whole bunch of other issues, and then basically well, said, said which take a drink.'" Yeah, fair enough. Um, and then went, this is how these characters are solving it, but didn't make it so that this was the only right answer. It was, this is how these characters are solving it. And, well, and left it very and much the in the air. did that is Clyden is in the exact same shoes as his daughter. And I don't know how many people noticed that, but like the one that had the most beef with her transitioning back to being a female was the one that also was in her position, not necessarily a random or just, you know, somebody who had never dealt with that dilemma ever in their life. Instead, the person that had the most beef was the one 
that like had never been given the option and at this point had built walls that were so aggressive that it ruined a relationship because those walls were also the only way Clyden could be the man that he felt he had to be. And I and thought I mean, that was such a beautiful way to actually present the argument because you watch Brutus and he goes. Or Bordas, yeah. Bordas, and I mean, yeah, the whole time. And and I mean, even take a look at the scene where they are discussing the issue uh, around the table. This was literally a round table discussion in the briefing room. And we're hearing all the other opinions. And they're trying to figure out, well, let's try to figure out what we can do here, right? Because we got to come up with a solution that's ultimately going to be best for the kid because we all agree we want what's best for this kid. But how how do we determine what is best for the kid? And how do we determine what is best for the kid in a way that isn't going to get us all fired or shot out of a cannon? But then also, how do we weigh the opinion of the child who may not be old enough to consent. And that was something that they actually took the time to weigh was like, obviously this child has hardened themselves on this decision. And while they may grow to regret it later, it's better that they grow than just end it now. And that, again, just these beautiful, the most depressing question any parent could ever ask themselves presented in such a way that there's also bits of comedy. And there's also bits of adventure and exploration and you're not constantly felt like I suddenly need to go sit my child down and have this debate. I also need to go research this debate and I also need to take all these notes right now while I'm watching the show. Instead, it was like, no, this is a conversation that you should probably be having. Here's how to start. And they also, though, and I, I think you're absolutely right. They also made it light enough that we could digest it without feeling weighted down. And Mm -hmm. that I think is an important part of what Seth does in terms of his writing is he keeps it light enough to, to see how that goes. Right. Um, I'd also like, Oh yes. Uh, fan mail here. Nemesis of Eden. It'll be interesting to see Bordas and Clyden and Kelly's dynamic coming up, how Kelly is going to integrate into their family. That is a very interesting question. And I think, I don't know if I was the only one of you guys that caught that kind of moment between Bordas and Kelly, where it it looked like things. I knew for sure it was going to end in a kiss and then it didn't. And I was like, "Mm." I I was actually really happy it it didn't. Yeah, I was. I was happy it didn't, but I was like, no, they're setting this up. Also, I think it was, I think it was one, I think it was one sided. Honestly, Bordas is too much of a loyalist to i mean you could make the argument that okay maybe in that moment he could have been emotionally compromised by everything okay fine but wait i was getting it, the tension he, it would, from him and not kelly ah uh, that's interesting because i was getting it from her i honestly <laughs> thought she was the sure. one that was that was like starting oh. to fall because she's like oh you know which you know it's not that stupid guys it's it's when you experience trauma no, with somebody it can yeah, bring you together in weird ways it's oh, just yeah. Well, the, I mean, like, I was thinking about it from any the perspective war of movie from the perspective of the lower soldiers and you will see how trauma builds blood. Yeah. And that's like that, I well, that's why I could see it being either or, but I yeah. totally felt that it was more Bordis and, and the funny thing to me is like I thought it was Bordis 
more out of obligation to find a mother for his daughter. You know what, though? What I think would be an interesting episode, and this is why I hope they get a fourth season, because this is the conversation I would love for Bordas to have. It's like, I have feelings for Kelly. I thought I loved Clyden, you know, like as a man, like as I'm supposed to, but I find out he was female. Have I got issues or something? Like, because you got to think about it from his perspective. He's got to be questioning his whole identity based on like a couple of encounters and him going like I, I i don't know like i'm worried i'm gonna get drunk at a uh you know at a concert and wake up next to a woman and be like you well, know what the hell happened yeah here, he right? is gonna have a bit of an identity crisis because his mate is uh or was female and now he has a daughter and it's like this yeah, is and and he might have been interested in a, a female like you know in the heat mm-hmm. of the moment like He's going to have some identity questions. I think that's the funny thing is that you also, we have to remember the episode, the pornographic episode where like he was very exclusively only with males. So like in his case, I think the identity crisis is more like the familial crisis, but also he's born in such a culture that literally does not have the feminine perspective. Like there was no feminine perspective. Well, and that brings us, and that brings us to a point I want to bring up. Go ahead. Oh, so like he, he legitimately not only is like he has no access to the feminine perspective in terms of a mother, a sister, a friend that's a female. Instead, he has to like a realize that he's been lied to. His entire education, everything, because like. Think about how much gender plays a role in modern education. Now, imagine if one half of that was completely cut out, right? The history is going to change really hard. And now add on top of that, being a part of a group of people that are way more open-minded than you and also super up for casual discussion about anything because you just moved out of the world that doesn't believe in any kind of conversation aside from commands demands and like reconciliation like it's all business nothing else and now all of a sudden he's like oh these people are willing to talk to me about how i enjoyed my friday night and i have never actually remembered enjoying a friday night i just do my job get it done go home eat dinner with my family sleep go back to work like he he's never actually discussed these thoughts in his head and i think that's something that's so interesting that Ortis actually portrays he actually displays a character that's like i need to question this but i'm going to talk to myself about it yeah, yeah. It, and it, it's it's an interesting position go yeah, ahead yeah and then, yeah this this brings me to my my complaint of the last couple of episodes which you know it, here it comes right uh this is just, and I think this is just kind of more of a circumstantial thing. I don't think it's what they're doing, but you have Bordas, you have Clyden, now Topa. These are some of the three most uh, uh, very dynamic Mocklins. Progressive Mocklins. Yeah, suppose, so to speak. But what bothers me, what I want to see in season four, if we don't get it in the finale, and we're probably not going to get it, is I want to see... Uh, I want to see the internal conflict on Mockless. Because, I'm sorry, 
the, them getting kicked out of the union has got to be having more internal ramifications than just oh we are we are it feels like they're squishing the entire Mocklin race into a single dimension which is unfortunate because they were so dynamic to begin with well, even just no, being a single gendered species and the other I thing think is that, too we've had dissenters the family represent like i think i that's hope so what yeah Gordis and Clyden are supposed to represent is the uh, the civilian version of a Mocklin family. And then the government is very typical of any government. Like, no, we have an identity. We, we stick to it. Well, and that, but the problem with that is that they're already outsiders. They were, they were primarily living on the Orville, not on Mocklis. And for Clyden to defect is, he is saying something, but that tells me right now, it tells me with them, and this is the other thing too okay let's set the implications aside let's say they are still one more one-dimensional after all okay there's still gonna be uproar about siding with the krill there's still gonna be guys who are like what are you uh, my mate was killed by the krill during this incursion i don't want to be friends with them why did we get kicked out of the union i didn't vote for that what the hell so yeah i want to see I, that I, that's what i'm getting at. yeah i agree and, and I think that's that's kind of where like the spinoff series can come from in this show is like that's you could have a whole planet Mocklin spinoff series that is about a nation Careful, divided. You're, you're entering dangerous Caprica territory with that idea. <laughs> well, and and then I mean we can move on to the 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 next episode here, which I think we kind of have to a little bit, and just talk about the ramifications of the fact that. They got through to the Kalons. <laughs> right? I mean, we we literally had Kalon primary realize, wait a minute, these people are willing to sacrifice themselves for our benefit. They could have literally just let us all die, but they chose not to. Dude, there was so much more to it. To oh, me, there is. There was, this, there was this scene before where Isaac stuns the dude instead of killing him and kill on prime is like why didn't you just eliminate him and he's like it wasn't efficient and you see Kalon prime like literally run all the algorithms on the efficiency of killing biologicals and you kind of feel like he actually realized something and then you have ensign karen actually take the time to like display what it really means to be a biological like in the t case of Kalon prime if he knew how to run those computers he'd have been like yeah i got this i'll just re-upload i'll be back a lot along the lines of the altered carbon debate but then to see a biological 100 guaranteed to die forever to sacrifice themselves for literally the thing she hated more than anything that kind of algorithm in real time and according to like all the metrics wouldn't happen happen that is enough to send any ai into real questioning like oh oh yeah and i love that because i've yet to see a terminator do that i have yet to see any other version of ai realize what self-sacrifice actually a feels like and b means to biologicals 
pretty yeah. crazy. Yeah, no, there there was a lot of moments like that. There was, um, I mean, you know, we had our first, you know, I didn't think Ted Danson would turn on the union, but there it is, right? I mean, yeah, you know, we had, um, you know, and and the fact that we had, you know, the Kalons knew that we had them over the barrel, right? Like they one hundred percent knew they were screwed. And they didn't quite get why we were willing to not just obliterate them right then and there. Um, you know, like you could tell they didn't get it, but they were like, well, it buys us time. So let's just go with it. And then they were scared. That was definitely like a sign of AI showing fear. Like they literally knew that their days had just now become numbered for the first time in the war. Yeah, And I think that's something that like, also is really beautiful to see is like in the case of terminator and stuff like that their biggest fear they send one terminator to fix the job why not all of them why not a hundred in a row so that like it's an uneven battle but in this case like they were like clocks to we'll find we'll find the leak and they even said that like we're gonna find it but to, to to me that really came off as like the most pitiful way of showing fear like oh, I'll find a way out of here like that's what it came off to me as and I thought that was beautiful is because like you don't see that complexity in AI characters yeah but we got it and then and their general annoyance that the union lost control of this device was perfect yeah and, you know and then seeing everybody kind of try to come to terms with the whole situation and just the where do we go from here in here-ness as part of the resolution of that conflict was absolutely perfect i mean what do you want to bet that the kalon joining the union had all the more to do with the fact that they're sitting there now realizing that there's a potential here that they actually could work with, um, you know, could work with a biological species to better their own. Yeah, Fan Rende, mail. I think you're, oh, you ahead. are definitely on the money. Like, I got all of that. Uh, hold on, hold on. Remember, we're still a podcast, so fan mail from Arendi. What's so impressive is they managed to convey emotion from what is a blank metal mask from Isaac and Primary. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was so little movements. Like, the the one that, like, sold to me that he was running the algorithm was he went... There was just such a little, like, his head shot back like he needed to run something that he literally ran to the back of his head real quick and then the same thing with isaac like did you not calculate the efficiency of your actions that's pretty negligent just in his like the information he did he goes it wasn't efficient and you see primary go i'm supposed to be the most most efficient thing in existence and you literally broke me in that one like response and that thing like yeah you're so rare and it is literally the blank metal mass with just the tiniest muscle movements from the body actor that also still felt metallic 
Like they yep. still felt like robots. At no point did I feel like I was suddenly getting a saucy robot. And like the most emotional per se was uh, Timogen. Or was it Timogen or was it Timothy? I can't remember. Timis. Or Timis. Yeah. Timis. And, and, and Timis wasn't that flamboyant in his like motor functions in terms of his hands and arms, but he was definitely like closer. And I thought that was so crazy that you can feel all of that. Skogliotin says they explained in episode one how the crew slash audience projects emotions onto Isaac. Yeah, but I think that emotions being projected come from the nonverbal cues. Like, I think a lot more humans take nonverbal cues too seriously than they seem to understand that they do but at the same time like the actors are kind of at fault and i think that's part of the writing like i don't doubt that there was a line in the script that said and primary steps back and instead or primary the actor is shocked. literally just yeah or yeah primary is confused right and so the the body actor is like well how do i show confused in a robot slight yeah. function back right and i i i do believe that we are projecting more emotion onto it but i'm i'm more coming at it from the 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 idea of the algorithm the idea of algorithmic thinking that life is but a function and if you can learn the entirety of the function the entirety of the string of that function you can then predict all future functions that will come from adding that like from that string I think what Kalon Prime actually resembled was what a robot would have done. Like you wouldn't have necessarily seen the refresh bar. And so in this instance, the best version of a loading screen for an infinitely fast quantum computer like a Kalon is a minor like yeah like backwards you're not gonna get the little spinning beach ball of death right like yeah exactly that's what i was trying to describe yeah yeah like (laughs) now that being said too i mean we've also got to remember that i mean these are you know actors behind those metal masks and they know that even if they're portraying a robot even if they're portraying a mandalorian who can't take off his helmet even if they're not portraying even if they're portraying uh, a vulcan they have to show enough emotion through subtext, through body language, that we feel connected to the character still. And that's the trick, is to show enough so that we still get that they're a robot, that we still get the they're emotionless. But as humans, we can still relate to them on our side of the uncanny valley. Because that's the interesting yeah. part of the equation, is building that balance and you know hats off to the actors in the Kalon suits yep. because they have been doing a fantastic job Bro, of that the whole time i i watched marines march in concert and it's the most intense marching i've ever seen successfully put on by thousands but these Kalons whoop their ass like it's yeah. so clean it's so robotic it is so uniform mm-hmm. it's scary beautiful yeah um and you know i'm just uh i I 100 put it out there that these actors uh are working their butts off and And i mean yeah and they're doing an amazing job 
especially when like okay having worked with as many actors as i have um they're in a role where you're never going to see their face so they're never going to get like screen credit for right. doing such an amazing job but they're still giving it a 100 percent the whole way through that's a huge amount of talent and a huge amount of effort on their part yeah so really and good job huge there. display and of I, humility yeah. and real quick it's, it's, real quick i just want to jump in guys uh first of all um everyone participating in the discussion thank you so much we do appreciate uh having you guys share your voice with us and share your perspective and of course obligatory like subscribe and share remark all right back to the discussion yeah i, I was actually also going to say um you know i would argue that we do have absolutely the greatest chat ever to exist on youtube <laughs> uh and yeah, it exists you actually and, like, and, you guys feel like you're talking to us yeah and honestly we we appreciate that keep it coming yep. We will continue to read uh, any chat you guys throw to us. Well, 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 within reason. Within reason, you know. I don't know. Um, I'll read it, but I can also self bleep. You guys want to see it? <laughs> I don't give up. Ah, 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 ah. See, that almost seemed like I was force choking you at range there, right? Like, that was a social distance force choke right there. <laughs> that was my rap bleep. <laughs> but. Yeah, I mean, look, it was a fantastically done piece of work, and they've really set the stage for a complete, you know, I want to almost call it diplomatic musical chairs that they managed to arrange here, where they've, they've flipped allies around, and we now have, you know, enemies who are friends, who are enemies, who are friends on every side of the board, and it just feels like real politics in a lot of ways in what you see in world politics. And I think that's what made it good, right? Well, yeah. And I think I think we should definitely call it for what it is because these writers deserve all the credit for understanding world building. Yeah. They have wholly built real races that definitely don't exist mm -hmm. as far as we know. Nobody's met a Makwa. As far as we know, nobody's met a Kalon. And yet, for sure, these Kalons and these Makwans are on par with the Klingons. They're on par with every other race we've ever met. Uh, fan mail from RND, anything we throw at you, I could throw some French at you. Advantage of living in Quebec, I got to learn two languages, lol. Well, um, unfortunately... I... Yeah, uh, I live in I live in uh, Ontario, so I do speak enough French to uh, you know make Quebecers upset that I'm speaking their language. So I got you there. Um, and for the record, I also speak German, Italian, uh, some Latin, Spanish, and just enough Japanese to be insulting to a whole bunch of people. So um, I got you covered. Exactly. A little bit of Russian too, actually, but uh, that's what you get when your family moved around a lot. Like three words in Deutsch, and that's pretty much my only way to say good morning nowadays. Ah. <laughs> but right. back to back to the Orville and back to what it resembles and what the writers are doing, man. Like, yeah, we're not the only ones discussing this show. No, but all the shows like us 
are definitely discussing this show. Yeah. And that <laughs> that's beauty. And that and I create I will Yeah, I mean the one thing I will ask, and I mean this is what I'm gonna ask of, of our our you know tens of fans out there right now in the chat. Um look guys you know get the message out we want more Orville however you can absolutely even if it's just standing on your roof and shouting it out so that the neighbors get upset at you like yeah I do mean, it I myself I'm on Twitter and I'm I'm tweeting out at least once a day hashtag renew the Orville because uh, this is this is quality sci-fi it's quality television it's just it's quality everything it's everything that that made TV watching, especially Star Trek, great is is what this show is, and I, that this is the type of content I want more of. And whether or not we get Orville spinoffs or whether or not we get original sci-fi startups, Galaxia, um, I think I'm going to be on board. I'm going to give it all a try at this point because the corporations, you know, between Disney and between Paramount, they've tried. They, they've they've. I'm not going to get into this and turn this into a negative here's, here's, rant stream. Yeah, yeah, I'm just sir, saying sir, we're done with you. I don't care thing. anymore. Here's the big thing is almost everybody will be extremely vocal about what they hate, but almost nobody is honest to display what they love. And that is why everything that we love has been butchered and manipulated and maligned. And it's because we a assume that people are like not listening to the comments like we hope that our favorite writers aren't ingesting all the bullshit but like look what happened to george lucas the whole reason we only got the prequels from him and he finally sold was because a he's getting old and b because there was so much mean shot at him like he was shot down from ever believing that he could ever finish the star wars saga on his own he wholly felt that like everything he would do would either be kind of liked maybe or absolutely hated by the vocal minority and that's why he gave it to somebody else and then what did we do the moment we got what we got from them we butchered them and make no mistake i am 100 percent the problem but that's why we started this podcast that's why we're here i'm here to right all the wrongs i've done before in terms of hating on writers instead yeah. focus on the work tell them where they went wrong redline the parts you don't like but then highlight the parts you love I'll tell them what they're and doing perfectly and beautifully because we all remember that teacher that actually took the time to tell us we were doing good despite giving us an app. And you know what? I will say this too. Like, there is a difference between negative criticism for neg negativity's sake and constructive criticism, right? If you were not a fan of Jar Jar, like uh, uh, RND in the, the, the fan mail here, like, that's okay. But here's, I guess, what I would say. Okay, what would you have done to move the plot along in the places where Jar Jar moved the plot along? If you have a good solution to that, if you would have written the character maybe differently, instead of, like, my whole theory, or my whole thought on if you weren't, they weren't going to go the Darth Jar Jar way, which I 100% support. Same. But if they weren't going to go that way, 
I would have liked to have seen Jar Jar outcast because he had some sort of issue with the isolationist policies that the Gungans were taking by not being part of the, um, not being a part of, of the larger community. And he wanted to go and explore and be part of the universe. I think that would have been an interesting way to take the character. And then we would have had an outsider perspective on a universe we knew for new eyes to be reintroduced to the world. That's what I would have done. But I mean, I'm also, you know, not but, directly uh, a writer. So no, see, the way that's that a suggestion, the way you're presenting it though that's what the audience should do that's what the fans should do is if is if we absolutely hate something we should find a way to make it work within the rules presented to us there's this amazing podcaster slash youtuber never knows best and hello future me and the two of them both take the time to legitimately a acknowledge all of the production that's already mm-hmm. gone into the work and then B go, I can still do it better with that exact same like restriction. If these are the characters that have to be there, let me at the very least rewrite their dialogue. But also like, Arendi, why acknowledge that you hated Jar Jar and that it's okay for you to hate a character based off of your own life. I don't agree that anybody should have hated Jar Jar. He was what the, the hell was that? Lamest and weakest attempt ever, bro. At, well, at no, stop, inventing. stop, Wait, stop. No, no, stop, hear me out. Hear stop, me out. stop. Hear me out. I'm, stop, I'm explaining that. Stop, I'm explaining that. Stop. So hear me out. Stop. Please don't insult the audience. No, because <laughs> like that was that was a no, low. No. That was below the belt, dude. No, no, because here it is. <laughs> This is the thing that people don't seem to get about Jar Jar is that Jar Jar was the worst version of propagating and promoting an indigenous species. It, it, it was weak, but it was also still respectful. Jar Jar comes from a species that was mostly completely unknown to the Naboo. And then Jar Jar's species as a whole is like literally the only reason the galactic economy that is the Nibuians could save themselves was because of this indigenous Atlantic empire that they had no idea existed until the end of the like the end of the Phantom Menace. Now Jar Jar that's why he is the weakest in terms of representing this. And it's because they gave him the dumbest voice I've ever heard. But had he have actually come off as a bumbling adult rather than a bumbling child, he would have actually like resonated better. And I think the idea of the Darth Jar Jar would have made the stupidity make sense finally like what if it yep. comes out where yoda walks into the room and instead of me son darth vader instead it's wow i'm going to kick your ass out. yeah well no like yeah even that or just in terms of like yoda's like and now the empire has been found or, or now that 
this is the death of the Sith Empire. And Jar Jar turns around and goes, no, this is the rise. Actually, what, what I would have really loved, and I think this would have been just the perfect line, is, um, you know, Yoda comes in and he's ready to fight the Emperor and he comes into the room and, you know, he's knocked the flunkies out of the way and the chair turns around and, of course, Darth Jar Jar is in there and he goes, Misa thinks you were expecting someone else. <laughs> That works. Mm-hmm. Like, but uh, anyway, we, mm-hmm. we don't we don't have time to discuss Darth Jar Jar. That, That's a good theory for a Star Wars special at a, at a later yeah. time. Okay, so um, let's. We are running. Me, we, we're up against the clock. That's why I say that that the hatred of Jar Jar is unjustified past the explicit scenes that he's in because the the intrinsic nature of his character actually represents yeah. something that almost no film writer has ever attempted to create which is yeah. a slightly differently educated indigenous empire that has also yeah. still yeah. risen yeah. All right. to power All right. okay made. but john we but gotta move we on. really gotta move All right. on to yeah, uh, for sure all right, so the old man concluded previously, and of course we missed last week when we were going to talk about it, but uh, I, uh, I I was kind of surprised by the ending, to be honest. Uh, I mean, really kind of surprised by the way the directions this show took overall. And, uh, I, you know, I got to hand it to John Lithgow and uh, and Jeff Bridges. They, they really came out well, came out strong. And this this is quite an interesting family dynamic that, that we got through the course of this story and so I, I do believe that season two has been confirmed uh another ballsy show like severance uh mm-hmm. ending on a cliffhanger for the first season that's that's impressive uh, i guess people are just like look if they like it they get the closure if they don't oh well and such uh, a resolving cliffhanger yeah 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 so, but, uh, yeah, guys, what'd you think? Uh, and it doesn't necessarily just have to be about the last episode, of course. We can talk about the series as an impact overall. Um, but what'd you guys think? Well, yeah, well I okay. Open, I want to open with disagreeing with Joe Rogan. I, I am an avid fan of his, and so I do listen to a lot of his stuff. And so if I bring him up a lot, it's because I'm a part of his audience. But the reason I want to disagree with him is because he talked a lot about how the show draws to a lull and takes a lot of time to explain the exposition and uh that's called good writing because in the greatest of ways this shows lulls were literally the time between the event they were the half hour that took place while this other half hour took place they were the hours two hours of plane travel of car travel because sometimes a car ride literally starts out with and this is why i'm so pissed and then ends with two hours of music like that's a thing that has happened and this show did that so beautifully so much so that like the reveal at the end to me was a hundred percent obvious like the the i don't i didn't want to fault the 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 people that chose the actress that played the daughter and now I don't have to because I was like, she looks nothing like a half white child. <laughs> well, and I am going to make sense. I am like, going to say this getting to your point. Um, I can't believe I'm the one who's going to be doing this, but check this out. 
In the Old Testament of the Bible, there is a word that they use every couple of uh, every couple of major plot points, and that is say law. Now, the actual English translation to that would be pause and consider. Yeah. Every one of those moments, those moments that Joe Rogan would consider dragging moments, if you had started it by saying say law, pause and consider what you saw previous to this point while you're reflecting on these, you know, this part of the story, these kind of dragging parts of the story where we have some negative space for you to kind of take a moment and think about what you just saw. This show was not designed with a pause button, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. I know there have been shows where I have to pause it and stop and think about what I just saw. This show was designed so that you actually have a chance to absorb what you've seen. Yes. And And that I think is super important here. Not Um, only absorb it, but absorb it in the way that they want you to absorb it. Like they want you to get a specific story in your mind and they give you all the freaking outlets to do it. It's oh, well, well, when you when you think about it, what exactly was uh, he mentioned the first steps of spycraft or the easiest part of it is getting somebody to emotionally be where you need them to be and think what you need them to think. Oh, wait, is that what the writers were doing, too? The Hmm. whole show yeah teased you with this violent action and then gave you a real world dilemma that actually puts your head into a spiral of confusion and then made you think about it the way they wanted you to think about it this whole show was so meta when you start breaking it down and you don't even realize it while you're watching it i mean it was just a mastercraft in making the in getting the audience to wear the writer wanted them to go the whole way. So brilliantly Absolutely. done, guys. And not only did they nail that, but they were telling you they were doing that to you the whole time. And it's not until you just now pointed it out that I got it. Ah, excellent. Like, like that's how good it was. Like, I, I try to watch for those shows that do that. Arende fan mail says never heard about the show just read the synopsis I'll have to give it a watch it's a really fun post-career spy drama yeah and and it's it's obviously the elder Jeff Bridges and the elder John Lithgow which is the same John Lithgow since forever because he's been 60 since he was 10 but the reality of the show is is that you've never seen these actors be these characters you didn't believe it was possible and you also started to taste the craft that is acting oh, yeah. like it's so perfect and yeah clearly written so subliminally so, yeah I and I will say this for somebody who is just getting into this show which uh, i mean i really do hope you do check it out um the best way to think about this is um you know imagine if grumpy old men was a james bond flick i mean that's the only way i can describe it um because these are two old spies who in who tried to fade away but the universe would just not let them. Bro, and 
this is if your dad was a spy and he just never really kind of told you the truth about what he'd done and he just got done watching James Bond and said, hold my beer. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and there are great moments in it. And the neat thing about it, too, is they don't. This isn't a, the kind of show where, you know, the main character is like 70 or 60 or 70, somewhere in there. But they're acting like 20 year olds. No, they're acting their age. That's what makes it good. Right. That's what really makes it good. The fact that like in the first episode, the dude has to get up like 15 times in the night to go pee is absolutely perfect. First minute. Yeah. yeah. It's just like the, the, you know, the fact that this guy, like you're wondering for the, the two of them, you know, if they're not getting a little senile in their old age, the whole way through, you know, you're wondering if, you know, they're, they're, they're to borrow a line from lethal weapon. If they're just too old for this stuff. Right. Like, but another thing, did any of you actually kind of want to see them fight? Cause now that I think about it, I never once thought what would happen if John Lithgow and Jeff Bridges went toe to toe in this series. Like yeah. I never actually wanted to see that. So like, how did they prevent that? Like, well, I think so- it, by the I, way, I think fan mail, goes, oh, sorry, fan mail from Scoggly says, ha ha, I'm in. So let's, uh, let's, with that, we have two people that have never seen it. Uh, yeah, I don't want to spoil let's it. stay away you. from the spoilers. Well, I mean, it's a good show anyway. I don't want to ruin it either way. And yeah, that's, but yeah. I, I will say this. I think that, you know, that they are two different styles of agent, yes. shall we say. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I think that that comes through very clearly. And I think that that difference um, complements the situation between them very, very well. And I think that and that's the an greater story as a whole. Of- I just I just think it's so crazy that at no point did that thought come across my mind. Like yeah. normally when there's two antagonizing forces, like part of you is always like, yeah, let's put these two in a room and see who wins. But in this case, it was like, I'm going to watch the story that they present. I don't want to have my own version of events. No. Well, again, because they led you down the garden path, my friend. Yeah, and they, they did so well. Like, the writers of this, 10 out of 10. You guys know what you're doing. Like, yeah, it, it's bad when you can watch a show and then afterwards go, oh, you SOBs. You led me down the garden path. I didn't think you were, you know, I didn't even realize I was there until I was knee deep in the roses before, you know, before I, you know, the rug got pulled out from under me. And that is just perfect writing. Well, and it was every episode did the garden for the last like week and a half because it's been over. Yeah. And then you just now pulled the rug out from under me. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I just had a great time watching the show. I didn't know that, like, they were also telling me how to enjoy their show for the last seven episodes. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Sorry, dude. I I, I don't. Great writing. I, I guess the only way to say it is the only reason why I realized what was going on myself was because I've spent so long in you know mulling over this stuff and watching 
there's tricks in cinematography that I've studied where I know when a director is trying to get you to focus on certain words and certain phrases. And when you start looking at certain characters and you start going, oh, they're the director's telling me to pay attention right here. He's giving me something valuable. Okay, how many places does this apply? And I started putting it together and I went, oh man. I, I you know what I mean? Like I I got through about three or four episodes before I realized I was being played too. Yeah, for sure. I didn't actually like like I love that. Cause to me, like there's a name for that skill, and this name of the skill is rhetorical analysis. Like you understand how to listen to the whole scene, not just part A, not just the actors, not just the words. Like you're listening to every single part of it. And to me, like that's it's a skill that I've actually fallen in love with and been working on for so long. But I love when somebody proves that I missed it and I'm like, oh, that was awesome. Like yeah. I, I would rather be so trying to analyze the show for whatever reason and miss that beautiful moment. And then when I look back over my time watching it going, wow, they really did trick me. That's good writing. Yeah. And now- for the guys that are going to watch it, please watch it. See if you picked up what I did. If you didn't comment as well, because we would love to hear your feedback on the old man. Um, and I think it would be fantastic if we had a follow-up a couple of weeks later well, when the, everyone else has seen it. Yeah, well, and the other thing is, too, I mean, we're so we were going to start our Terminalist discussion this week, but unfortunately, with, with all the work we had to do, plus Michelle Nichols passing away, um, decided to push it back another week. Um, but we had, The Old Man is also based off of a book. And so mm-hmm. if we want to, we can absolutely plan a follow-up in like three to four weeks um, I don't know how long Terminalist is going to take, but we can definitely plan that to try and get get the book in if we want, and also to just do a comparison, and then that also gives our audience members a chance. Hey, if you guys, you know, want to do a little book club with us as well on this one, because we are, like I said, we're doing Terminalist next week now. So please join mm-hmm. us for that. But also, yes, we we will. If there's enough interest, even if it's just a couple of you guys, we will absolutely make the time to to follow up with a book comparison plus to give us time to uh let's see fan mail from arendy uh i get so absorbed when i watch a good show or movie that it's spoilers are meaningless to me it's like becoming a mirror to what's being shown makes it very hard to find a show bad as i watch it for me uh awesome you'll enjoy watching all of our reviews of everything then (laughs) (laughs) i'm very much in the same boat arendy because it is very hard to hear spoilers for me because i start waiting for them in the in the movie but like like i was spoiled to a lot of the parts of spider-man and yet when they still happened i was like yeah they happened like oh yeah no he he was like he was coming out of this uh out of the movie being like flip 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 oh every time i've never not that's that's Most tradition movies i reenact on my way out the door it's because i am the character i just fell in love with yeah uh yeah so so for me overall the old man is absolutely worth all seven episodes for for season one and 
it, it really is, especially as a writer myself, there's a lot of cues to take from this one. And I, I don't know what's changed from the book versus the screen adaptation. But even then, this is what I've started to realize, too. It, you know, growing up, I had a lot of people say things like, you know, movies aren't real storytelling. They're bad for your brain. Same with TV shows. And there's a certain amount of truth to that. Same I'm not going to lie. Said about printed books. Right. There's no truth the to that. The point I'm trying to make a is... A lot of movies are bad at writing. Exactly. Storytelling is storytelling. And you can have good stories and you can have crap. And the old man is a very good story on screen and i'm 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 probably gonna check out the book but i am actually looking forward to terminal list here soon just because i haven't even seen anything about it haven't followed anything about it and i'm 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 looking forward to just really diving in head first this week uh to to get started on that and and, um yeah i'm actually really excited for you guys to get into it because i already watched it the day it came out and i watched it twice the next day because it uh, actually i'm gonna i'm gonna throw this warning out here because i am a parent so i will say this to all the other parents and all the people that may care it is violent (laughs) and to me that is something i love but if your four-year-old's in the room a lot of parents care about that so viewer discretion has been advised Exactly. Yeah, good, good looking that's out for the fans there, John. That's that's always good. That's, yeah, we yeah we absolutely don't it, want to to promote the stuff that that we, we do try to but, make it a point if something's not family friendly to say, hey, what we do in the shadows probably not for the children. No, dude, actually, that's actually a really funny one. What we do in the shadows. My nephew was over while uh, my brother was watching it. And my nephew was like, he said, can I watch my iPad? And he was watching his iPad while my brother was watching the, uh, the, what we do in the shadows from episode one and stuff. And at one point we decided to switch the show and we switched it to psych. And it coincidentally was another vampire episode. And when we switched over, my nephew was getting scared of more vampires in the show that wasn't about scary vampires. Like the other one was the scary vampire show, but these ones were the ones chasing detectives and stuff like that. And so I actually took the time to sit down and I explained to him, I was like, look, if you're scared of this show, that's a credit to the writers and not a failure on you. Like the writers wrote this to scare you. If you're scared, that means they did their job. It has nothing to do with your character. It has nothing to do with you being a baby. You're growing up. And he was like, oh. And then we watched the rest of the episode and he didn't jump once. He was like, oh, it wasn't as scary as I thought it was. <laughs> and, and, and it was psych. It was on the USA Network. It was literally like, it wasn't ever that scary. But they the, the like music had heightened and all this stuff. And so then he started paying attention and listening. And so the reason why I want to give that disclaimer is like also as a parent i'm 100 percent on the main character's team and like all the violence that he commits is like yeah that's what a good parent does in that situation <laughs> and so the violence isn't tasteless it's like like we're not we're not trying to encourage you to watch saw and just get over it like no this is a show that does have violence it is graphic it is violent in every image you can imagine but it serves the plot it's not just for shock 
Yes, exactly. Well put, Corian. Yeah. And I mean, honestly, I am willing to put up with almost, there are some caveats, but almost anything if it serves the plot to move forward. There are definitely yeah. some limits I've got. Like, but if it's in there just for shock, like if you're showing violence just to be like, oh, look at me, I'm an I'm an edgy author that that's going to show something to, to blow your mind. It has nothing really to do with the plot because I don't actually know how to write a plot, but I'm going to shock you. Then it doesn't work for me. Um, if, however, I'm... it's like, no, in this situation, these people would react this way. Then I, I can the buy perfect, it. The perfect comparison. So I'm not a huge fan of Saw. To okay. me, it goes too far. Even Nightmare on Elm Street, especially the original adaptations, it, it went so far as to scare me as a child. But I absolutely love Cabin in the Woods. I absolutely love Tucker and Dale versus Evil. Like Tucker and Dale versus Evil is my favorite satire of horror, but it's the equal amounts of blood and gore. Yep. Like it can be done in a way that some people like me can get over the horror and that actually like because i watched chucker and dale versus evil i was able to get through the sauce series so like some of these yeah. shows are like palate cleansers and it's really easy to get into more horror because you took a palate cleanser but the terminal list is not a palate cleanser no. so like if you're not in a mood for violence it's not a time to watch it but if you are in a mood for like some fun yeah jason bourne Yep. And uh, fan mail from Aaron D. Uh, violence that serves the story. I agree with being shown uh, what Coriona is saying as I type. So, <laughs> dude, um, heart you. All yeah. right, let's go around the room real quick. Um, so, our overall uh, feelings on the old man on a scale of one to seven. Seven, of course, being perfection, and then of course so we have a very we have a special grading system that we just decided to adopt because yeah, everyone does 10, everyone does decimals, everyone does five. So we're like, well, what's better than five, but not as cool as 11, or excuse me, 10, seven. So we have the seven kind of. scale. I mean, we could have gone but to 11. I, that might've been a niche in of its own, but. Let's let's be honest. I'm the one that said we should do seven and I never said why. Our Andy uh, <laughs> mails in uh, is lucky. Seven is lucky anyway, so I agree. Um, exactly. But no, I chose seven because even when it's a four out of seven versus a three or a five, it's a clear difference than a three out of five stars. Yeah. Four out of seven is like you made a thing. You could watch it once and it's probably kind of forgettable and I put the four out of seven. Not, well, not necessarily forgettable. So a four out of seven to me is like, you know who you should share this with. <laughs> like you know that one person that's gonna love the fuck out of it. Sorry to swear. Sorry to swear. I shouldn't have said that. No, well, that's that's it. the one. Yeah, that's, that's the it. one. The yeah. So the there's like the four out of seven is the you know who this belongs to. The three out of seven is you tried. Two out of seven is why Do did better. you try? One out of seven is I don't know who you thought you were writing to, but you failed. Yeah. I should actually get so, that in wrong address return to sender. So so my gra so the way I do it is an absolute seven is, is sheer perfection. Uh I, I you know will will build an effigy to it and begin a cult to worship it. <laughs> um You're up to like what, twelve now? Well no six <laughs> is um you know, six is like a solid show. 
that I think is amazing, right? Um, you know, uh, a five is, you know, this is something I would watch with, you know, with my wife or with friends. Uh, a four is like, I'll watch it and I'll probably forget about it within a week or two. A three is something that I probably would never watch again unless forced to. But you kind of have two- to for context as well. That's where I start to right. get the threes and twos. Right. A two is just bad. <laughs> and a one is so bad that there is a group of friends that I have to show this to, to watch their reactions as they like have these horrified images on their face. And I'm watching them. I'm not watching the show. It's so uh, funny. I, I used to be a part of this group in the Marines that we had all started. It was called terrible movie Tuesday. And yeah. It was almost never on a Tuesday but it always had to be the worst movie you could find yep. on whatever streaming platform you wanted. Fan, fan yeah, mail, and, fan mail yeah. from A. Rendy. Just noticed I butchered your name, Corione. Sorry. That's all good. I just it's butchered good, yours dude. in return, Rendy. So we are now, <laughs> we are now square. Google Yoten says Neil Breen. Okay. And I say question mark. Yeah, that was about to say. I'm like, oh crap! What trend are the kids doing now? Um, <laughs> so yeah. Oh, you you kids and your names. So now that we've your... we've explained our seven scale, uh, why don't we go ahead and go around an audience? Please feel free to give. Well, you guys haven't seen it yet. So in the future, whenever the audience would like to participate, please give us your thoughts out of seven, um, or whatever scale you guys prefer to use. We'll translate it into a seven. And uh, so let's go ahead. Uh, Corey, why don't you start us off uh, for the old man entire series all at once. Entire series all at once. I'm giving it a solid six. I think there are places it can go with a season two that I really want to see it go. Um, but this was an absolutely solid go watch it kind of show. Yeah. John. I give this one a seven because my seven isn't build the tome to it. But if somebody did build the tome, I could understand why. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, Before you give yours, uh, we've got some fan mail here. Neil Breen is apparently the greatest bad director ever. Um, I don't know. I, I've got some, some ones that might, might take the cake here. Yeah. Tommy. I don't think you do. I'm looking at this right now, looking at his, uh, directography if you will I'll, I'll get a screenshot for you well Tommy Wiseau is pretty bad and I mean well Corion hates uh, hates Michael Bay for understandable reasons me I think he's well he sucks too but not yeah, as bad as I, I'm Wiseau trying to find, I'm trying to find the name of this director because I've like mentally blocked him out oh Yui Bull <laughs> dude <laughs> That's right. I forgot he's a he. He exists. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, anyway, for the old man, for me, it's it's a. Uh, I think I'm with you on that one, Corion. It's a six out of seven for first season. Um, I, I was, you know, it's ballsy to end on a cliffhanger, but that's also why I, I kind of. It feels like it's there, but it also feels like this show could just drop off the face of the earth and be forgotten at the same time. Like, I don't feel like it captured me enough. I'm going to watch season two because it was good, well-paced throughout, and I liked what I enjoyed, unlike <clears throat> Strange Worlds. Um, this show was good, and I'll be back. It's just, there, and there were some other issues I think we discussed in certain episodes that, that mm-hmm. it, it, 
shit, I don't it know. Got into nit- it got into nitpicky places for us, though. Like, we had to look for problems. Yeah, yeah, we did. So it might actually be a seven for about it because it it really was just every episode we we only see if i haven't even we started a formula what we did not like what we did like but i think that's only going to apply to garbage because the general discussion's been on the whole time and i don't think there's yeah. there's really nothing too bad i could say so i think i, I think it, there are some areas i'd have to go back and watch because i think there are some minor plot holes that that probably were overlooked but as far as characters and everything, I mean, it's, it's, yeah, no, this would definitely win awards for me. Uh, yeah. Hands down. Yeah. Or at least uh, be oh, nominated. Uh, another bad, uh, bad director. Dude, Ed Wood. Like, how can we not remember Plan 9 from Outer Space? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, but uh, any final thoughts on Old Man before we move on? Go watch it, people. We'll, uh, you know, You'll we won't wait it. for you here right now, but go watch it once we're done. Yeah. Um, all right. So moving on. Uh, over the weekend, one of Star Trek's greatest characters, and I mean, let's be honest, in TOS, TNG, Voy, Enterprise, um, and I mean, even beyond, obvious, or not beyond, but the, the JJ movies, um, they're all great characters, but, uh, we wouldn't have Star Trek without her. And we wouldn't have Ahura, a, a great inspirational character without her. And I I just... You know, you never really realize the impact someone has on a show until you just take a step back and, and look at all the history that, that she did. And, and even just watching the character grow so much from the original series to the next, or not the next gen, the lost generation, as Corion put it. And mm-hmm. she just, she really, she's, she's kind of sort of the background character, but at the same time, she was very important to the rest of the crew. Uh, and, and I think uh, Sam Whitweer actually shared some thoughts a couple years ago, I think, or maybe it was a year ago, I can't tell anymore, um, about his encounter with uh, Walter Koenig and how Koenig was like, oh, you know, you guys are there for Kirk and McCoy and Spock. And he's like, absolutely not. Every character, every character absolutely mattered. Every character plays a role, especially in the original series. And that is also the same sentiment is very true when it comes to uh, Nichelle Nichols as Ahura. And for me, I just want to say, you know, Nichelle, you're an inspiration to many people, but you're even an inspiration to me here and even just doing this little silly show because not only did you have to overcome adversity with with the whole civil rights era thing going on at the same time adversity of the highest order yeah you also had to overcome yourself and that's just it if she didn't overcome her own insecurities and people say that well dr king talked her into it yes that's true he, he absolutely was was helpful in making sure that she took the role but you guys got to remember she still had to make that choice yeah a woman who had to be advised from the most prominent member of her community like the it, it, this is literally like if jesus told a christian no well stay on the and, show. and it's not just That's a member of her community the, Dr. King and even Ahura, by by extension, was our community. 
And everything that it means to be an American was was exemplified by Dr. King's resolve and what he did to oh. make things better. I, I think it goes beyond that. I think he was arguably one of the best one of the best human beings around for the way he handled things. And really, all he did was ask. He yeah. didn't tell her. He didn't do anything like that. He was like, "Please do this." He, we're talking about a guy who potentially could have you know he could have really made a fight of a lot of things if he had wanted to but he just went to her and was like no please do this this means so much to the community he just asked she was the one who had to actually walk that line and that was his fight that was his fight that was the war that he wanted to wage and that was the war right but i mean non-violence of oh, I know. Being yeah. present, even when nobody wants you in the room, if you know you deserve to be there, please sit in the chair that's been offered. Right, and but at the same time, at the same time, right? Like, at the end of the day, she was the one who had to walk that. She was yes. the one who had to sit in the chair. Yes. And the and amount get lucky. It was not like people were nice to her. Fan mail from Orville Nation. Hey, guys. Hey, just in time to reminisce on one of the greatest characters in all of sci-fi. Yeah, yeah. Um, the greatest actresses of all time. Actress and singer, too. She wasn't just... Uh, yeah. Yeah, she wasn't just an actress. She also sang. She also... I, I think one of my favorite episodes with her is, is probably uh, Trouble with Tribbles, just because just she's so fascinated by a ball of fur. And she delivers it so well how she genuinely, like, like she makes that ball of fur come to life in that scene, just with that kid oh, in the candy store vibe, and I, I love it. It's so, it's so, oh, it's so TOS cheesy, but it's so awesome. And well, on, on top of that, though, her whole, her whole attitude on screen, like what we saw from the character, that she had a lot of say in creating. She really just exuded this, um, calm confidence in what she was doing that really set a tone for the the kind of the the you know the the not not entirely the foreground shall we say that she knew she belonged there she exuded that belonging she she sold us on her belonging there on her having well earned it long ago to be in that chair and that's why we believed it and that's what I think made her the fantastic actress she was. Oh, the, yeah. The, to me, the thing that makes her the fantastic fantastic actress that she was was the fact that I didn't know about the, line, the Martin Luther King bit until she passed. What okay. I've always known about her is that she's a lieutenant of Starfleet who can very easily announce the worst message of all time in a calm managerial voice. Like I never would have imagined that this actress suffered doubt about her role. And then it obviously dawned on me like what was the 1960s and like all those things come into play and all that speaks more to her character. Like I don't see a naive afraid of her chair afraid of her role character i see a woman of power doing her job according to this you know fictional universe but she's doing it in such a way that i'm like 
well, yeah, she's the only one that knows what's going on. And mind you, I didn't watch the, the Star Trek TOS in the 60s. I watched it in the 90s and the eight and the 2000s. And so for me, my relationship with what everybody knows about racism is mostly historical. It's mostly unseen, mostly unknown. And that's why I love hearing about what she went through now and knowing how well she did her job. Well, like she never came off as the broken and beaten. Yeah. And 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 here's what I want to to leave you guys with as a little piece of something to chew on here. We all know that that interracial kiss caused a lot of controversy, right? But consider this for a second, right? As much as, you know, like we're three white dudes sitting around discussing it from our perspective, consider the black community too, right? She's kissing a white boy, right? Like they're already having some serious issues. I wouldn't be surprised if she caught a lot of flack from the black community for that kiss, if not more than what, you know, CBS got in letters. Yeah. Like I can only imagine the level of just insanity she had to deal with from her own community for trying to forward this concept. Right. Uh, Like when you, when you think about it, yeah. And she still did it and she knew it was going to happen. She knew she was going to catch about six different kinds of flack, but she did it. And, you know, she was like, look, let's get, let's do this. Let's get it done. And, you know, we'll deal with the repercussions as it comes up. You know, they, they actually referenced that in, in probably the, probably one of the best ways you could on Futurama with the, with the Star Trek special episode where she's like, Oh yeah. I can't remember the exact line off the top of my head for sure, but it's like, she's like, you know, sacrifice i can't in the in the third season i kiss shatner and she's like you know talking you're like the way that it comes off is it's like you know ew i had to kiss shatner but it's like now that you've said that corion there was more behind that line when she oh, yeah. said it than then just oh yeah i kissed shatner no that was the first inner interracial which is an oxymoron by the way there's only one human um yeah the first quote, interracial, unquote, kiss on live TV. But this was a big deal for social change. And you're absolutely right, Corian. This is not small-time stuff that she she was dealing with. She, and it was, she probably did get flack from, from multiple directions over it, from unfortunately. All sides. And that's what's, that's what, that's why, to me, one of the reasons, of, of course, of many, why she's kind of been a personal inspiration in in my life and i never really fully realized it un- until really thinking about it over the last few years and this is the other thing too john one of the reasons you're only hearing this so much is because when she tells this story about the the adversity that she faced people have to like drag it out of her because she yeah. was so humble about it she does she was not a bragging type of person she just loved life and she wanted the best for for oh. people and that's what she did more than anything the reason why i I, i'm one of the ones that really supports separating the art from the artist but except for in death when it when you die your art becomes your legacy correct and if that 
is what Nichelle Nichols is leaving behind. The legacy she is leaving behind is that of the noblest warrior. Yes. The most honorable. Like, she is the most honorable Viking of all of modern time. She cut through the hardest industry and is literally... She, like, people have been dressing up like Ohora since the first Star Trek movie. Yeah. Yeah. And that's... That's not something that many or any hero has ever achieved in modern time because like as, as far as modern heroes goes it becomes really quick to find out how much evil they truly committed while they were coming off as heroic but in the case of Nichelle Nichols it turns out her character on the ship was an iota of the amount of character that Nichelle Nichols actually exemplified in her daily life like while it may have been hard for her to actually take that responsibility on she did yes and she killed and she's gone on to motivate and propagate a loving universe because despite adversity she persevered as far as noble heroes go i can't think of another in the last hundred years well i i mean she is who i i would sit there and go like this is a classy lady like the the humble the you know the optimistic everything you can think of that she's just oozed class and you know i think that's like one of the the most wonderful aspirational things about her is just how classy she was through all the stuff that came up and about the fact that she just, you know, did what she needed to do. And it was just amazing. You know, you can truly see her class in the fact that William Shatner sold himself to commercials and she never did. Yeah. Because she never sold herself she was herself where she needed to be in well, whatever she, position the director said she was in she did sell are herself, you a she, lieutenant on a ship she no, did no, sell herself she, she just maintained her own herself. brand she, she didn't sell out. out yeah she didn't sell she out rented she let other people pay her for her presence <laughs> whereas everybody else is just trying to be bought she was like no i'm a person first i don't think i can like subject myself to this scrutiny oh the leader of a group that i actually believe in is asking me okay for that i'll risk it okay i risked it what next years and decades of hatred and love from the fans but hatred from the outside audience to the point that like she finally passed away in a world where like most of the people that were against her presence in films now are just trying to get one more halfway decent white actor into a film. <laughs> like the people that hated her are meaningless to Hollywood. 
Well, people that hate anybody for any reason are meaningless, really. Now, that being said, we've got a um, fan mail here from Arendi here. Not only that, consider she helped reduce racism not by fighting, but with an act of love, a kiss. Yes. And you know what? That is why I think that 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 whole situation was absolutely amazing. Her fight wasn't just one kiss. Her literal fight was her presence from episode one. Like the 1960s did not have black actors or actresses. Well, they they did, but they were playing like maids and like, you know, they were playing like maids or janitors or the hired help or something. They had background. Yeah, they she did was not a, have actors or actresses. They did not have stars, and she she was an equal. Yep. She had she had character development episodes, bro. Right? She is literally the main character of the new Star Trek in terms of Strange New Worlds. We're retelling her story. What did the what was the one of the biggest changes in the other Star Trek with uh, Chris Christopher Pike? Not Christopher Pike, uh, the other... Yeah, they moved her to the forefront. She is the main love interest between Spock and Kirk. Like, that's Mm -hmm. what this lady did. Not only did she defy racism, she defined real love interest. Mm -hmm. Like, she exemplified what an honorable human being is, but then she was still a lovable human being because like a lot of honorable people are really hard to love because they're always nerdy doing the right thing and and for the record somebody to fawn after yeah and for the record uh i don't know if you guys ever met her at a convention sadly she was just she was just the sweetest like now by the time i met her she was kind of an, an older lady but she was just the sweetest old lady like I half expected that I'd be going up there, having a few seconds of chat with her. She'd hand me a cookie and send me on my way kind of person. Like she was just that nice. Right. And it's rare. You meet that nice a person. Right? Yeah. Uh, fan mail. Fan from mail from Arendi. Oh, go ahead, John. I got it. Friend mail from Arendi. Wasn't trying to reduce what she accomplished, but put it succinctly. And, and I don't think you were Arendi, but what I was calling more to is that the fight started earlier. Because what a lot of people think about fights is that they start with the first punch. But in reality, the fight truly starts with the acceptance that there will be a meeting at three o'clock under the flagpole. Yep, it just just started. It just started by her just being on the bridge. That that was it. But, you know, what did it culminate in, though? Yeah, exactly. What it culminated in was the first kiss of a black American and a white American on good phrasing international american television or national american television mm-hmm. it never happened before that was the ko punch of her position yeah. and you are absolutely right by pointing it out an act of love as the ultimate knockout towards racism but her fight round one was her taking the chair yeah and yeah. that i think also needs to be added the discussion good points way to way to build on that and really structure that that that's i totally agree with everything you just said and and yeah it's just it's there's so much that continue we can continue to say and and i'm not saying we have to stop we can still just go i i just i'm sitting here listening to all this and all these other small tidbits that i kind of half heard or hadn't heard before and and i love all of it. It, it, it this is how this is how I would 
if I'm to be remembered in this way, which I go either way for me, this is the impact I want to have. This, this, this the, we're trying, you know, I'm not trying to make this a sad that's, thing. This is well, celebrating well, her life. Call to action. Oh, yeah. That That's the, the true call to action is because like you said, she never really talked about how much she was hated. But when you watch modern, well, YouTube, do you know why? You watch modern people of interest, they always talk mostly about those that hate them. Yeah. And instead, she was the honorable hero and talked about the ones yeah. that loved her, and then also loved whoever approached her, as described by Corion taking the time to say that like when he met her at a convention she was loving like this woman suffered racism beyond any version we've ever seen today she has every right to be the meanest person you've ever met every excuse justification like even if i met her before she had passed away a couple days ago if i'd met her the day before and she was like get the fuck out of here white boy i'd have been like yes ma'am you deserve that. You, you have every right to so, do whatever you so want. So I and then you jump on Twitter and be like, "Oh, Nichelle Nichols told me to f off." <laughs> okay, so you know what? Die now. Wait. You, you know what though? I, I think you know that might make Nichelle Nichols like the patron saint of this channel because we try to focus on the positive too. So yeah, I think we, you know, like we're we're following. Yeah, the, we we try to focus on the love here too. So I think we're we're trying to live up to the the example she set for us. I yeah, think, in a and lot that's, of ways. And that's why I said she's that's an inspiration to me because I I've had to overcome certain. Now now I'm not comparing myself to her struggle. Please don't misunderstand. This is not me saying we're the same. This is me expressing the fact that I'm inspired by the fact that she came over. She overcame a mountain, and to do this show is like overcoming an anthill. Yeah. But because she overcame that mountain, I know that every Tuesday I could come and conquer this anthill. And that's really what I want to express is like she she does inspire me to keep doing this type of stuff. And and, and even eventually, probably uh, I probably need to pick up some videos or watch some videos on how she handled fan interactions because that she probably was the best at it. I mean, or at least this one is, of the best. This is absolutely one of the reasons why I love doing this show live because what you just said Corian about her being the patron saint of the podcast if anything that's the that's exactly the standard I live up to in my personal life but to finally get the opportunity to have a hero worthy of following somebody who takes on the hardest of suffering and then becomes what she became like i yeah absolutely she should be the patron saint and absolutely she should be the standard because as our show grows we're definitely gonna get negative feedback we're definitely gonna get harsh words mm -hmm. but yeah. if nichelle but nichols could take it in a world where her friend martin luther king who asked her to do it got shot by the fbi like yeah like I said, I if she can conquer our, her mountain, we can definitely conquer the anthill that is this show. So That's it. And, and so, uh, so uh, go ahead, Corian. Yeah, so I, I think, you know, I, I definitely think that that's a thing. Uh, I was also going to say, too, like, you know, and it, it's sad, too, because as we continue to lose 
original Trek actors, right? Like as we slowly do, you know, I think we're going to see more and more of these like wonderful stories about each of these actors come out. And I would just advise everybody like, don't wait, you know, like try to, you know, talk to talk to these actors about their work now while you can right you don't don't those wait. actors show up yeah. here yeah <laughs> like, we love you we yeah, love like, you a hundred percent and b we want to get your story out while you can tell it yeah, yeah. Wow. like you know george walter if you guys want to come on the show we would be glad to have you right uh, uh, Chicago, you know? one of my favorite human beings one of my favorite twitterers he's so saucy i love it <laughs> he he may he may be the better twitterer but yo man walter as an actor like walter canning if uh like everyone knows him from star trek but if you've watched b5 you know walter canning he was in b5 and, oh yes he plays arguably the best bad guy in the whole series like shockingly wow. good um, yeah, Alfred Bester. Um, the best way to describe it is in Babylon 5, when telepaths start becoming a thing, somebody has to police them. And they only picked the biggest a-hole they could possibly find in the entire galaxy. And that is his character. Yeah. But uh, uh, real quick, before we before we head to the, to the final couple minutes of the show here, I did just want to say, Nichelle, thank you so much for yes, you for your portrayal, me. for your heroism, for everything you did for Star Trek, and really just for the human race as a whole. I wish I had had the chance to meet you, and you know what? From my perspective in life, I think I'll get that chance. Just it's going to be a, a bit of a wait for me. So, hopefully, not for a while. We still got a lot of shows to do. I, yeah, I know. <laughs> I'll see you on the other side. We'll see you on the other side, but not for like, not till I'm 89, hopefully. But uh, with that, guys, uh, we do just, uh, just think we got what? A couple of quick shout outs to do or. or, Yeah. uh... Yeah, I definitely want to create my new segment whenever you guys are. Well, let's let's first just quickly shout out Orville Nation. uh, Yes. Decided to to join us here uh, into the channel, into the chat. Uh, guys, check out Orville Nation. He does some really amazing work covering the Orville. Guys, it, it, and it's not just the Orville coverage that he does. He's gotten so much notice now that he has literally had producers and directors. He literally, I was on a stream where he had John Kassar, uh, who just showed up and did an impromptu thing. Guys, like the Orville Nation is now about to go to the moon because of this stuff. Like he wants to do more of that type of interviews, and and we definitely want to help promote that and can you help to to help grow the we grow together family um mm-hmm. and then of course guys shout out to all you watching right now thank you so much for sticking around for the discussion Aaron D please come back every single time tell all your friends tell all of the friends other people that you think should be in on this if you guys want to help us succeed I mean yeah you hear it every single YouTube video and I tried to make a joke of it when we started but I'm realizing you know what if we're serious about growth, we got to do the plug. Please, please like, please subscribe, please blast this to all your friends and family on the socials. 
um every little bit counts every single subscriber matters and we are glad to have your guys' voices here and to share your opinions uh, and you know why Arendi is so amazing, right? And has such good insight. Well, because he's a subscriber on my YouTube channel. <laughs> um, All right, I so we don't do... have to plug your channel. Moving on. Oh, Maria with TNT. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, so I, and I really appreciate him coming over. And, uh, you know, because we're on my channel. Uh, I don't talk as much about pop culture news, but I do talk about um the things we can learn from pop culture from more of a spiritual perspective so things like you know why you know men in black was such a good passing of the torch movie or you know how to properly fight a wizard duel all of this can be found on my channel please subscribe yes and of course um oh where was i going i don't know i forgot continue uh Oh, yes, uh, T and Telly with, with Maria, Maria with T and Telly, please, great stuff there. She started to do more, um, she started to do more uh, wisdom and, and uh, just kind of meditation type guidance and, and just really good stuff there. Um, but also, she's just a great, great person to hang out with, whether she's talking pop culture or talking Zen Buddhism. Um just great conversation and perspective and here's the other thing guys when it comes to spiritual stuff you know i'll be more open about that as time goes on but it's not about i don't promote preachers here um unless you really want to go you want a preacher go to church and also if, if you're looking for judgment find religion or go commit a crime because it's not going to come from me uh, <laughs> I, I and that's just it there's no judgment with maria with teen telly she's a great great energy to be around and and that's why we're we're working together to try to help grow our fan bases and really just kind of help each other find each other's audience because there's lots of variety out there and we want to try and help promote each other's good variety and so and also we are open to suggestions as well we're not not totally one-sided here mostly one-sided but not totally <laughs> um and yeah we're, we're, we're like militantly on the side of do what is you know do the right thing try to be decent to each other <laughs> you know like be that that's where we're like orthodoxy you know of like try to be decent and reasonable human beings right yeah so. if you can't be decent and reasonable it's not really going to work out here because uh you, you know we gotta you gotta try and fail fit the motto which is throwing respect into discourse and uh and that doesn't necessarily mean being nice in conversation all the time sometimes blow-ups happen and it's what we do after the blow-up that matters the the coming back to the table is what we're really trying to encourage not just uh not just you know hey guys be nice all the time it's it's no no just you you can we've disagreed on this channel like huge yep. but we still respect the heck out of each other even in our disagreements absolutely right. absolutely uh this thursday uh speaking of corian's channel we will be doing another uh messages from the rogue council what it's called right transmissions transmissions ah, see i'm ah. still sick and tired uh, Transmissions for the Rogue Council, where if you guys if you guys like Coast to Coast AM type stuff, please join us there. We are going to... Uh, uh, what are we discussing this week, Corion? We are going to discuss uh, missing people and where they could have gone. Yeah, exactly. And I'll give you guys a little sneak peek on something. Something that I'll get into more details later, but here we go. Guys, were you aware 
that the percentage of missing Americans per year directly matches, if you were to take it as a ratio, the number of animals that get And I'm Peter York with the Ryder Brothers. That's all the time we have for tonight. <laughs> yeah, right. There we go. <laughs>